right. Well, good morning, everybody. First, I've been instructed to release the children from the room. So I want to release them from the room right now. Um, I am Caleb Ives, and I am a pastor and a teacher and the director of this ministry called Emmaus here. That's right here in Oviedo. Um, our primary place we gather is over um, at Canterbury Retreat Center right down the street. Um, and we have a few different things we do and just wanted to kind of let you know about those. This is a, specifically directing towards our School of Biblical Studies. It's 10 months long. We go book by book through the entire Bible. And we meet on Monday and Thursday mornings and it's from August through June. It's a really in-depth program. Um, it's the primary thing that took me from where I was in my life. Um, I was a pastor for seven years um, before I really studied my Bible, which is a dangerous thing. You guys are really blessed to have, in, in, in Bishop here, to have a, have a pastor, have a shepherd who's a student of the scriptures. Um, but I wasn't, and I'd been a youth pastor for seven years, and then I attended this kind of a school, um, the exact one that we run, and it revolutionized my life completely. I came to understand the gospel. I came to, to fall in love with the character of a God that I saw from Genesis through Revelation, and I completely changed the way I viewed the world according to the scriptures. Um, it messed with my whole life. And I'm so grateful it did. Um, so we do have that school. If you're interested in that, let me know. Or you can check it out on the website, like I said. Um, some of you attended this last year another program we have, which is a seven-week in the fall, seven-week in the, in, the, in the spring, something called the Biblical Narrative Series, which is um, kind of a, a survey look at every book of the Bible to get some tools for studying it, give some historical context, and things like that. So some of you attended that. If you did, you got a secret email this week. And that secret email has invited you to a new night course we're offering this year. So I just want to encourage you to check that out if you attended narr Narrative Series this last year. If not, consider joining us this fall. So we'll be, um, enrollment will open up, uh, registration for that course will open up in, on July 1st. But, and it filled up really fast this last time. So if you can, um, if you're interested in that, let me know. The Narrative Series, you can ask people that attended it from, from here at the church family. But ultimately for the Old Testament... Week one is an overview of the entire Old Testament, getting the whole picture of the entire story of the Old Testament. And then weeks two through seven, take one unit of that scripture. The first one is from Genesis through Deuteronomy. And we dig into the history around that book, give you some structures, some themes to help you feel like when you open up those books of the Bible, you have an idea of what to do with that book. That is our heart, that every book of the Bible, you'd have an idea of what to do with that book and what it was intended to do in our hearts. Um, so... That's that, um, Emmaus, and so we're really grateful. I I'm so grateful for the relationship here, to be here again, to be with, uh, with you as a church family, to be back with my, my beloved friend, Jason, my brother in Christ, um, your bishop, and um, I I'll tell you this. I, I know this because I'm, I'm also a, a pastor. I, I work with a lot of local churches here. This year has been a, a challenging year to be a, to be a pastor, to be a shepherd, and you may not be Maybe you already know that, all right? But I just want to encourage you. Um, you have a wonderful pastor. You do. Um, just his heart for this church, his heart navigating through all the challenging times. None of us have ever pastored through a global pandemic before. Um, there is no class on that in, in pastor training. Um, we've been for the last five months, we've all been doing things that we were not we were trained to do. But thank God for his scriptures and for the spirit that give us a guide for whatever it is we might encounter in our life. And I'm just grateful. And I'll tell you also, I'm part of the Oviedo Christian Ministers Association. And uh, Bishop has been an incredible voice and leader and a catalyst that we would be passionate and not passive 
um, in the church here in Oviedo, and I'm grateful for him. So I just want to say that. Well, let me, let me yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. Now, in the school, I teach three-hour class sessions. Um, some of you came to Narrative Series. I teach two hours. So buckle up. Buckle up. We, we don't have lunch for a while. We've got an hour and a half till noon. So no, I'm just kidding. But we're going to jump into the fruit of the Spirit and specifically focus in on faithfulness today. But I'll tell you what, my heart is really stirred by worship. I'm really grateful for that. Man, that last song we did, well, really, all them songs we did, but that last one, it has been in our family an anchor, an anchor uh, for the last several months of unexpected challenges and a weirdness of this world. The reminder that there is a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, and it is Jesus Christ, and it is the gospel about him that doesn't change. It'll be, it was exactly the same 100 years ago as it is now. And it'll be the same 100 years from now. Um, and it does not matter what happens in our life. There is nothing that will change what is eternally true about Jesus Christ. And uh, we are blessed that we are people who happen to know that thing that is eternally true about Jesus Christ. So let's just keep growing in that today. So Lord, we just thank you for the presence of your spirit with us. God, we thank you that where we gather, you are. Lord, and we're grateful that uh, for us as a, as a family today, where we get to gather is here. There was a while where we were at our homes and scattered around, but Lord, we thank you that we're able to gather together physically, but Lord, we thank you whether we're here physically or people are tuning in online, that Lord, you are with us. There has never been a moment in human history where you were more, more, more tangibly present than you are right now. So Lord, make us aware of your presence. And God, I just ask that you get me out of your way today and that you would speak what you want to speak from the scriptures today. We welcome your truth to sanctify us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we are jumping right into the fruit of the Spirit, and, and I, I've been thinking a lot about, about this topic. I wanted to get myself oriented to this series, and so I listened to, I think, week one um, from Bishop on this, and it was fire. It, it convicted my heart. It challenged me about a tree being known by its fruit and really setting you up for this series, and I'm sure, I am positive, this series has challenged you. If it hasn't, um, hopefully by the end of the day it will, because anything, anytime we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it should challenge us. It should challenge us, and we're going to talk about why, but I've been thinking about this season that we've all been in, and the passage that keeps on resonating in my heart has been Romans 8. You know, as we look at, we got the, the health problems, the economic problems, the, the, now the racial and social problems, the injustice stuff going on, all this tensions in this world, and I keep going back to Romans 8 in my heart, and, and I want to read a short passage from there that's probably familiar to you, and then I want to put it in context a little bit as we jump into this idea of the fruit of the Spirit. Romans 8, 28 and 29 um, says this, and I'm... I, I, Fair warning, I have the ESV in front of me. You might see it in New King James on the screen, but I'm going to read what I got here. But Romans 8, 28, 29 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. All right, good, you got the same thing up there, perfect. To be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. It says brothers there, but that's really speaking of brethren. I want to make sure the sisters don't get out of the, out, out of the challenge here, okay? So every one of us, here, here's what God is doing. It says, all things work together for good. Now, you've probably quoted that at some point in your life. There's a good chance you have. And it's usually when something goes bad, right? When something goes bad in our life, we say, hey, it's all right. All things work together for good. But it's really important, there's a purpose statement in this passage that lets us know what God is working on. 
See, a lot of times we think all things work together for good, meaning everything's going to work out really good for me, right? So, yeah, I got fired, but I'll get a better job. And I, oh, this went bad, but I'll get more money this way, or this will go better for me. And that's, it's not that that isn't, that we can't hold on to that hope that is found in a God that cares for us, but that is not the purpose of the work God is doing in us according to this passage. Because it says here, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, this passage right here that's really familiar to us is set in the context of Romans chapter 8. The very first part of Romans chapter 8, you know what Paul's talking about? The groaning of creation for the restoration of all things. He goes on and then talks about the Spirit groaning from within us when we are weak and we don't even know how to pray, that the Spirit groans within us and longs for restoration, longs for resurrection. It's in the context of suffering and brokenness of this world. Then the end of Romans 8, the end of, end of Romans 8 is another passage we're really familiar with, with it. If God is for us, who can be against us? And what can separate us from the love of God? And the end of Romans 8 is saying that, hey, no matter, there is no suffering, there is no challenge, there is no trial you will face in this life that can separate you from the love of God or that will stop the reality that God is on your side and he is for you. But it's all set in the context of hardship, of challenge, of suffering. And in the middle of that chapter, God points out through Paul that he is in, in, about a building project in your life. That God is in a building project. He is building something in us in the trials, in the difficult times. And in 2020, God is in a building project in our life. And he shows us what is the blueprint of his building project in our life. It is the image of Jesus Christ. It is the image of Jesus Christ. And that's the first thing I just want us to anchor our hearts to, this reality right now, that no matter what we're trying to do with our life, here's what God's trying to do. That God is building you to look like Jesus. I think it's on the slide here. God is building you to look like Jesus. That's it. It doesn't mean he won't promote us or advance us in our careers or, or help our families to grow and all that. So it doesn't mean he won't do that stuff. But the primary building project, the purpose God has for my life is that he's making me into the image of his son. He is conforming me. He is working on me. He is shaping me into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, if anybody knew about that, is Paul, right? Paul, who literally hated Jesus Christ. He hated Jesus. He would never have called him Christ. He hated Jesus of Nazareth and the lies he had spoken. And he hated the people who tried to say that Jesus was, was the Messiah, was the Christ, was the king they'd waited for. So much so that he would kill them and arrest them and beat them and kick them out of the community. And then he met Jesus. And he instantly began to call him Christ, the king, the one I've always waited for, the one that all people have waited for. He began to call him Christ. And in that moment, Paul started to experience that same building project. God started working on him to conform him to the image of his son, to the image of the one he saw on the road to Damascus. In Paul, then, we see him as a missionary, as a pastor. He embraces his number one purpose in ministry is to join God in his purpose in his people, the building project. In fact, in Galatians, where we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, where you've been, in chapter 4, he says it this way. Uh, Galatians 4.19, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Until Christ is formed in you. 
A word form there, just the, the Greek word morpho, where, like, where we get metamorphosis, transformation, to take on a new form. So you have a form that you were in, and now my entire goal in your, in your life, Paul says, is that you would, you would be moved into the form of Jesus until Christ is formed in you. If you dig into that, we're, we're not talking about, if you've seen the movies, like getting long flowing hair, all right, or a nice beard. Right, or like more accurately, right, like that, that my complexion would darken so I'd be more like Middle Eastern Jesus, right? That's not what we're talking about or that we learn how to be a carpenter. What it's talking about specifically is really the mind and the life. That Paul says, I am just like a woman in labor is committed to that labor until that comes to fulfillment of a new child being born. I am just in that way committed in your life, just as I know God is committed in your life. That your mind, your internal desires, and your life, your external behaviors would come into perfect harmony with the desires and behaviors of Jesus Christ. And that's it. Now, I mentioned something about this this morning, and my oldest daughter said, yeah, good luck with that. You know? And what she means is, well, that is like a lifelong building project. Exactly. And it's a big word we call sanctification, which is the ongoing work of becoming who we're created to be. People made in the image of God and in his likeness. It's restoring the Garden of Eden for every single one of us, what we were created to be, which is reflections of our God to our world. It's broken because of sin. And our entire life is about God, through Christ, conquering the Genesis 3 fall and building us back into Genesis 2 fellowship with him, reflection of him, and fellowship with one another. And we're in the midst of this. We feel that. We feel that in this world right now. So, so what does all that building project have to do with the fruit of the Spirit? Uh, everything. Everything. God is building you into Jesus. He's building you to look like Jesus. That's it. All right? That's it. Paul says, hey, I, I'm in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. All right, Bishop here, you're, you're, the people here in this church, the work of the Spirit is all about Christ being formed in us. That's it. And, and here's one of the ways I like to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And it's on the slide here. That fruit, the fruit of the Spirit is the personality of Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is the personality of Jesus. Uh, we all take personality tests. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. I've taken like four or five of them. I'm like this color and this one. I'm this animal over here or something. I don't understand it all, right? And uh, these, like, I think I'm ENFP, if you've ever done that one, whatever those mean. I think it means I'm an extrovert that's worried about what everybody thinks about me. Um, so I think that's what it was. But anyways... We all take these personality tests, right? And I'm not against that. I'm not against being aware of my personality, which means what kind of a person am I, right? And we want to know that. So we, we have a million tests to assess what kind of a person am I. But as a follower of Jesus, there's a more important personality when it comes to how I live than my personality. What is the personality of Jesus? Because my personality is what I start from, but his personality is where I end at. And so, hey, when there's disagreement between my personality and the personality of Jesus, guess who's right? Jesus is right. Okay, just so you know, if you disagree with Jesus, you're wrong. Okay, that's just how it works, all right? So uh, related to this is this idea, and I want to just lean into this a little bit, because you've been looking at fruits of the Spirit. And I'm just talking about myself, because as an outsider, I can just talk about me, and I can kind of accuse you of stuff, but sort of, and then Bishop can clean it up later, all right? So I'll accuse myself. And it's this, Here, here's the next point, that my personality type does not excuse me from cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. 
You aren't allowed to say, I'm just not kind. I'm real blunt. You don't get to say, like, I don't get to say that, right? I don't get to say, well, I'm, I'm like a really hyperactive person that's really driven after my goals, and so I'm just not really patient. Change. Change. Jesus is. You think Jesus doesn't have vision, doesn't have goals, doesn't have things he's working on, and yet does he demonstrate patience? Yes. Yes. So, hey, I don't get to give myself a pass because, uh, you know what, I just got a temper. Change. Change. And I know we can't change ourselves. But guess what? When there's this agreement between my personality and the personality of Jesus, I don't get a pass. Jesus is right. And the goal of my life is to yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in me that's convicting me and making me like Jesus. All right, so let's jump into Galatians 5 here. And we're gonna, I'm going to read the passage you're familiar with here, comment a little bit on it. We're going to focus in on and last a little bit about faithfulness. And just give me a, a wave when we got to leave. All right, so Galatians 5. I'm going to start in verse, in verse 13. All right, I'm going to actually read it like this because I need a new glasses prescription and I can't quite see that one. And I got the wrong version here. All right, so we're going to read through it. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, to freedom. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Just stop there for a second. All right, in 5 verse 1, Paul has said this, that it was for freedom Christ has set us free. For freedom. He talks about this incredible gift, the result of the gospel in our hearts. The work of Jesus is that we have freedom. We have liberty. But Paul says here, very simply, there's two ways to use your liberty. You can use it to serve yourself, or you can use it to serve others. And you can guess which one's right, okay? But two ways to use it. All right, verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, come on, somebody. All right, and I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about Facebook, all right? If you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And I, I'll tell you, I really think one of the worst witnesses of the church in our culture is everybody watches on Facebook while we devour one another. I mean, we are just denominations, we're, all these different, we're just devouring one another publicly on walls. So the world that doesn't even know Jesus can say, wow, they're just eating each other alive. We're spending so much energy on devouring each other. All right, let's keep going. Um, verse 16, but I, I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. All right, we'll stop there for a second. And here's what I want to say to you. Um, in, in the ESV, it talks about the desires or there it says the lust of the flesh and of the spirit. So here, this is a real simple thing. And I think you probably already talked about this, but I love them when things are simple in the Bible. All right, there's two ways to use your freedom. Serve yourself or serve others. We know the answer, all right? Now, there's two ways to govern your life. Two ways to govern your life. You will either, you can gratify the desires of your flesh or gratify the desires of the spirit. You either can gratify the desires of the flesh or gratify the desires of the spirit. And that's just not about your big picture your whole life. That's about every single decision. Today, you will have a thousand different opportunities to make a choice what you will gratify. Your flesh's desire or the spirit's desire within you. Now, many Christians, many Christians feel attention. They feel discouraged, I should say, because of this feeling of wrestling within them. 
Sometimes followers of Jesus, I, I find that they get discouraged because they're like, man, I'm still, I'm struggling with temptation. I've been really wrestling with temptation lately. Or, or you know, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm, I'm wrestling with not really wanting to do that right thing that the Holy Spirit's leading me to. I'm wrestling with that. And, and they get discouraged because they feel that wrestling. Listen, you're supposed to feel that. We are supposed to feel an uncomfortable tension because we got two desires within us in the life of, with, with Jesus. That's, there's two desires within us trying to fight for leadership of our life. You're supposed to feel that. In fact, if you don't feel that wrestling within you of those two desires, then one of two things is true. You are either physically dead or you are spiritually dead. The only way you don't feel the wrestling within you of two desires is if you are physically dead, which looking around here, let me check real quick. Nope, none of you are physically dead or you are spiritually dead. So if you don't feel that wrestling, if you don't feel that within you, it, it, feeling that is actually evidence of the fact you have received an incredible gift. You now have within you the desire of the Holy Spirit pressing on you and convicting you. We take that for granted sometimes, the, the, the work of the Spirit convicting, or we complain about it. We don't like feeling conviction. What an incredible gift that is. To have an internal compass that God has given us as a gift to press on us and say, Caleb, that's the wrong thing to do. Hey, you screwed that up. Hey, this is how you can become more like Jesus. It's a great gift. All right, two ways to govern. Gratify the desires of the flesh or gratify the desires of the spirit. All right, let's, let's keep rolling here. We're gonna pick up back in Galatians, starting in verse, I think we're on 18. Go to the next one there. All right, yeah, verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Keep going here. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, her Paul's really got a list here, doesn't he? Dissensions, heresies, keep going, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, meaning, etc. okay? So if yours wasn't in there, don't worry. Paul's still talking about that. That's in the and the like, all right? All right. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the time past, that those who, are, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is pointing back to what I just told you. If you're okay with that stuff, if we are willingly yielding to that and we don't feel the tension, we're probably spiritually dead then. Spiritual life is evidenced by that wrestling of the spirit with this flesh desire. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I know, you, we've all got these mastered, right? <laughs> Against such things, there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now something you notice there in verse 18 and again now in verse 22 and 23 is this idea that there's no law against the fruit of the Spirit. What does that mean there? And uh, yesterday, actually, Bishop was talking about this idea. See, laws are intended to restrain the evil desires of the human heart. That's what laws exist to do. In fact, even in the Old Testament, Paul describes the law as being kind of like, a, like a, a babysitter or a restrainer against the sinfulness of the human heart. So laws do that. That's why you find laws that say do not murder, right? 
is why do we need a law to say don't murder? Because people are going to want to murder each other. And, and because of that, we need to know don't murder each other. Right? That's why we have that. Laws exist to restrain the evil desires of the human heart. But laws cannot change the desire itself. There is no law that can change the human heart so it no longer desires to murder or desires to slander or desires to steal or to lie. There is no law that can change the human heart. That's why don't murder is a law, but you won't find a law in the judicial system that says, uh, forgive your enemy from the heart or go to jail. You know what? Because you can't. The law can't change the heart. The law cannot, laws can't make you forgive. They can't change the heart. And there is no law, Paul would say, there's no law that's going to produce the fruit of the Spirit in you. No law is going to produce the fruit of the Spirit in you. To even get started, and this is what we're talking about, the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? To even get started with cultivating this fruit, we need God to do something with our heart. And there's a passage in Ezekiel that, that I, I had in mind. Um, there's a passage in Ezekiel 36 that I want, I want to bring to you real quick here. 36, 24 through 27. Ezekiel's a prophet. He writes to the nation of Judah in their worst time. They have wrecked their entire world with their sin. They have now, at this point, spent about, a, maybe about 800 years, something like that. 800 years that they've spent literally having the law, but proving that that law couldn't change their heart, and using that law to kill themselves. They have wrecked their entire nation. Their temple lies in ruins. There's no one in the promised land. They are just a remnant of the people. They've been destroyed by wars, all because of self-destruction, because of the sinfulness of their heart. And they've had the law the whole time, and they couldn't change their hearts with the law. And so Ezekiel is a prophet, and he's a priest, and he's over in Babylon in exile, and he seems like he's in a hopeless place, and God speaks these beautiful promises of hope to him. And he spoke this one in Ezekiel 36, 24 to 27. He said this, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That means instead of a heart of stone that you can't change. In fact, this points back to another prophet of that time named Jeremiah, who in Jeremiah 17 verse 1 said, sin is engraved in your, stone, in your heart like diamond carving into stone. You can't wash it off. You can't clean it. You, are, you can't fix it yourself. You need God to do something for you. And Ezekiel here says, that uh, through Ezekiel, God says, I'll remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's conviction, right? The spirit, I, God's saying, I will put my spirit within you someday. And when I do, that spirit will, will in, in that new heart, my spirit will, I will cause you to want to walk in obedience to me. Now we would love for that to mean that all of a sudden my flesh is gone. So when I become a Christian, now I get the spirit and my flesh goes away and I never want to sin again and I just live this perfect life. That'd be great. If that's the case, I'm not saved yet then because that has not happened for me. I still want to yell at my kids. I still want to blame my wife for everything that goes wrong ever, right? I do. Uh, if I go the wrong direction and we're on, you know, we're on a road trip, we go the wrong direction. I'm driving, but I will definitely want to blame her, right? I don't know why. Like it's just, I, I don't have that gone for me. 
So, so I, still, I still feel that. But what I do have is this gift that God has given me a new heart. It's now, it, it's free. And it's able to be, be, be pressed on by the Spirit and respond to that. And I can actually have my decisions led by God himself because he's given me his spirit to lead me into becoming like him. All right. So when Paul's writing about this in Galatians 5, he has this, these passages memorized from Ezekiel's prophecy. Paul, as a really, really high elite Pharisee, would have had the entire Old Testament pretty much memorized word for word. So he'd quoted these for years. And then he had come to believe that this Holy Spirit that had come... This was the fulfillment of what his people had longed for, for about 600 years. That God has done something for us we could not do for ourselves. That he has broken up our heart of stone and given us a tender heart towards him. And a heart that has the capacity to respond in obedience. And he's given us his spirit to lead us. So then he talks about this fruit. And what that means, all of that is that the fruit of the spirit is not just a change in my external behaviors. It is a change in my internal desires that I need. I need a change within me. That doesn't mean I don't choose to do the right thing when I don't feel like it. Y'all, we don't need to be getting led by our feelings. That'll lead us all kinds of ways. But what I really long for and what I want to work towards is not just when I do the right things and everybody thinks I'm kind, but when I actually feel the kindness of Jesus in my heart towards the people around me. Not when just I can restrain my temper and I don't hit that person. But when actually I find a peace within me, even when I'm being triggered by these people, I feel a peace because you know why? My heart is changing. My heart is changing. And for a long time, we have been, uh, I think a lot of us Christians for a long time, we've become content with as long as people think that I'm a good person. No, no, I want to become like Jesus. I want to become like Jesus. Because you know what, ultimately, if my motivation is that people will think I'm kind, sometimes I will do what they think is kind, but it will be unloving to them because I will restrain the truth. I want my heart to become like Jesus, not to just be known as a good person. All right, so faithfulness. Faithfulness is the one we're going to focus on for the last little bit today. Um, and it's actually a challenge one, especially at core faith, right? I mean, that's your word. Faith is the word here, and it really is the word everywhere, but it is a central word in this church. And faithfulness of the fruit of the Spirit is kind of a challenging one to dig into. And the reason is that word faithfulness, the, the Greek word of that, you know, the New Testament was written in Greek. That was the language back then. And, and the Greek word there actually is the same word that means like faith, right? So that word was used 20 times in Galatians. 19 of those times, it talks about one aspect of faith, which is the conviction of truth. What we are convicted to be true, what we believe. Now, and that might be what we think about, right? So this word for faith, it can, faithfulness, it can mean, it can just refer to our conviction of the truth about God, about Jesus, about the gospel, what we believe, right? And you all have that, right? That's central to this church. What do you believe about the gospel? What do you believe about Jesus? But that word can also refer to faithfulness, fidelity, and steadfastness of loyalty in life. So it can refer to both, faith in and faithfulness to. The same word, the same word. So because of that, sometimes I think it can be challenging to wrestle with. But I think that makes sense, because if I were to ask you a question, what is faith, right? What is faith? You would probably talk to me about belief. You probably would. It'd be, the, what, is, what is faith? You would talk about belief. 
But if I said to you, what does faith look like? You would probably talk to me about acts of obedient trust, right? Acts of obedience in trust of God, right? So even in that, we actually define faith the same way that, that the Bible does, that faith has these two aspects. It's, yeah, this is what it is, but this is what it looks like, and you can't separate those two. Every covenant relationship we have looks like that. Even my marriage to my wife Latoya, um, our covenant, it works based upon a, a relationship of faith. And that looks like I have confidence, I have trust, I have faith in her, loyalty towards me, and I am faithful to her. Faith in her and faithfulness to her, right? That's kind of how marriages work well, is when those two things are in a good space, right? And we've, maybe we've experienced when they weren't in a good place before in our lives, and it doesn't work then. It doesn't work. So faith, covenant, uh, relationships of faith always rely upon both realities of that. And our covenant relationship with God is defined by this word faith, but it's both faith in him and faithfulness to him. And I think when we talk about faith, we can easily slice off the layer of obedience and make it just a cognitive belief or conviction about some set of doctrinal statements, right? We can easily turn faith, the faith that we have, our core faith, into just a set of beliefs that we say, yeah, I'll sign that paper. I believe all five of those things or all eight of those things. I don't know, however many you got, 25 of those things. I don't know how many statements you have here. All right, but I'll sign all those statements. I believe all of those things. It's easy for us to turn faith into that and we slice it down the middle. We slice this word that has both of these meanings wrapped up in it. And we slice it down the middle and we only hold to that. We make that into faith, which is what a lot of us, a lot of churches have done. A lot of us as people have done. And in doing that, we end up diminishing our experience of relationship with God because real relationship with God, the real growth in our relationship is about walking in faithfulness to him living that thing we say we believe out in the day-to-day. -day. And also, our witness to the world, our witness to the world isn't about what we sign to. It, what you believe about God, what you believe about Jesus, about the gospel, what you believe about the Bible, those beliefs are invisible to the world. Nobody can see them. Nobody sees what you believe until it becomes faithfulness right? Until it becomes faithfulness. James talks, I think, about faithfulness in this way. Because, you know, like I said, the faith has these two aspects that you just can't separate. This is what I believe. Therefore, this is how I live. This is what I believe. Therefore, this is how I live, right? This is what I believe, but I don't live it. Then I don't believe it, right? If you break those apart, it now becomes something that's not even the same word anymore. But in James, he talks about faith in that same way. And if you, you're familiar with the book of James, um, faith and works is what it deals with. Over and over, faith and works. I think you could really say faith and faithfulness. Belief and faithfulness. But James is going to pull those together to a, to a community of people. He's writing to address the problem that a lot of people are saying they have faith, but they're not living faithfully. So he's going to say, you can't actually split these because the second you split it, it's dead. It's dead. So, so here's what he says in James 2, verse 18, and then verse 26. James says this, and this is written, by the way, right around the same time as Galatians. He says this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. 
Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Here's what James is doing. He says, show me your faith apart from your works. He's implying you can't. You can't. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. And he goes on. Verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So works are the way we come up to that physical body. If you, I mean, we've all been to a funeral, right? We've all experienced that. When you go up to someone and, and there's no life in them. That person is not there. That's not a living being. That's not really a person, right? That's just a shell that looks like it. And you say, look, here's what we do. We bring the mirror up or we lean down to check for breath. And the way we check for breath is through faithfulness. When faithfulness is demonstrated in our lives, that is the breath that reveals the faith that we say we have. And so here's, here's the, the next point here that just to jot down. Our life, it is our life of faithfulness to God that makes our invisible faith in God visible to the watching world. It is our life of faithfulness to God that makes our invisible faith in God visible to the watching world. See, when we remain steadfast, when things are really tough, like now, when we just handle that differently, we remain steadfast when things are tough, when we don't yield to the desires of our flesh whenever everybody else might be, when we don't cave into the pressures of our culture, when we demonstrate that we're trustworthy in our relationships, in our workplace, in our schools, when we just demonstrate we're different, that's how our faith is seen to the world. That's how we reveal ourselves to the world as people of faith. Um, there, there's a... My, my grandmother, when I was a kid, um, she, actually my great-grandmother, I got to know my great-grandmother, real, real pl- privilege when I was younger, and my great-grandmother had this, this bowl on her dinner table of fruit. It looked really good, apples and grapes and bananas and all that stuff. It was wax, though, this thing, right? But it looked really good. It looked really, really good. And um, I remember one time, my sister was, I think I was probably around 10, maybe she was six, or might have been a little younger. And, um, so I was sitting there. I remember my sister really was fascinated by this fruit on the middle of the table. And my sister, growing up, she was just always hungry. Always hungry, right? And, and so she was really uh, drawn to this fruit. And I remember seeing her do this, which I, I don't remember exactly all the details, but I know myself well enough to know there was no chance I was going to tell her, don't eat that, all right? <laughs> and she reached up and she grabbed an apple. And I, and I remember she grabbed this apple, and it looked like an apple, right? She grabbed that apple and she bit into it. And you know what? When she bit into it, she realized it wasn't an apple at all. She realized it wasn't an apple at all. She, she, it looked like real fruit, but then she tested it. And when she tested it, the substance was revealed. And when we think about faithfulness in our life, I think there's a lot of ways to look faithful. Show up at church every Sunday, you know. I got my Bible verses I post on my social media. Um, you know, like, I let people know when I'm doing my devotions, you know, like, I, this, I, there are a lot of ways that we can look faithful, right? But, but here's, here's the thing, and just like in that moment with my sister with the wax fruit, the truth of the fruit is revealed in the testing. The truth of the fruit is revealed in the testing. See, think about faithfulness, loyalty to God. It's easy to be faithful when it's easy, but the fruit of faithfulness is revealed when our loyalties are tested. You know, think about back to my marriage with my wife. My faithfulness to LaToya was not revealed on our wedding day 
when I would say I do, when we're both decked out looking as good as we've ever looked in our lives, right? And I'm saying I do, and I'm going to get to leave this place with this woman. Are you kidding me? Of course. That doesn't reveal faithfulness in my covenant to her. When we're on our honeymoon, that's not revealing my faithfulness in my covenant to her. The faithfulness to my covenant in my covenant to her is revealed when she angers me or she doesn't, she, she hurts my feelings or she upsets me and I don't run from it. That's what reveals my faithfulness. My faithfulness is revealed when I'm on a work trip or I'm doing whatever else and someone's giving me attention and I do not, I do not practice. That's when faithfulness is revealed is when it's tested. It's when I'm, I'm on my laptop in the middle of the night, right? And I'm being tempted to go into something. That, that is when I'm tested is when faithfulness is revealed. It's not when I'm putting on a show when we're dressed up in front of everybody. That's when it is revealed in my relationship with Latoya and that's when it's revealed in our relationship with God. And here's what's crazily wonderful. This really upside down blessing from God about this year is we're all under a lot of pressure. Everybody is under pressure. Our culture is pressurized. And in pressurized times, we have an incredible opportunity to reveal the fruit of the Spirit to a world that needs to see our God. To a people that need to see Him. This is an ideal time for us to reveal the holiness of our God and therefore the holiness of our own lives as we are becoming like Him. So like I was telling you before, we know what God's doing in us, right? He's building us to look like Jesus. That's it. I want you just to think for a minute here before we, I'm going to come to a close here in just a couple minutes. But think about this. What is this time revealing in you? We know what God's building in you. He's trying to build you to look like Jesus. But what is being revealed in you through this season? Through the pressures of your life, through the pressures of our culture, through the challenges of temptation in your life right now, what is being revealed in you? What are you seeing? And one of the ways I like to do this is I, I like to assess myself not just through my own eyes because I got lenses I use. I have a little, I'm a little biased when it comes to, I think I'm doing pretty good, you know? But to ask myself, how would my friends, my, families, my, my family, my coworkers, how would they describe me? How would they describe me? Would the most defining characteristic of my life be that they would talk about my loyalty to my God, my faithfulness to Him, my trust in His ways? Or would the defining aspect of my life, if you ask my family, my friends, my coworkers, my, my classmates, if you ask them about me, would they describe me based upon, oh yeah, this is Caleb's loyalty to himself, his personality, his political party, his emotions, his, you list it. What, would I, what am I most defined by, by the world that's watching me, by the world around me? Is my faithfulness to God being revealed or faithfulness to other things? And again, when me and Jesus disagree, I'm wrong. And I want to become more like him. And this isn't a work of condemnation. Conviction is a gift. Condemnation isn't. Condemnation always is going to point to your past and say you're always going to be like that. Conviction points to Jesus Christ and says you're called to be like this. Those are two different things. Two vastly different things. Both can bring about a feeling of like sorrow and grief about what we've done or whatever it is, right? But condemnation has not come with hope. Conviction is pulling us towards who we are created to be. My brothers and sisters, you are created. You are called to become like Jesus Christ. 
You are. And you know what? You are going to be just like him when you enter eternity. It's going to happen. But God's desire for your life is that it would happen now. That right now, it would be on earth as it will be in heaven. And that's easy to say about the world around us or about our neighbors we don't like. Lord, make them like, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. But what about me? Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that gets a little more uncomfortable. Because I'm welcoming the Lord to transform, to upset, to disrupt my life, and to make me like Jesus. I'd rather have him just change you all. <laughs> it's much more comfortable, right? It's much more comfortable praying for the Lord to change my enemy, to change my neighbor, to change my spouse, to change my kids. The challenge becomes when I say, Lord, change me. Make me like you. So this world needs a, re needs a revelation of God. I think we all know that. But the way God has chosen, the way God has chosen to reveal himself, the way Jesus is revealed to the world, just the way it works, is through us. The primary way God reveals himself to the world is through his people. And I, I want to challenge you. If we will yield to the uncomfortable but beneficial work of the Holy Spirit, if we'll let him lead us to change and become more like Jesus, that is actually, though it be uncomfortable, it is the best way to experience the true abundant life. It's the best way to reveal our, our Lord to the world. It's the best way, way to glorify him. It's the best way for us to be transformed in the very nature and likeness of the one who's redeemed us and calls us his own. It's what we're created to be. It's what we're created to be is to be like Jesus. We are of another kingdom. We will never find the perfect political party. We'll never find the perfect denomination that is exactly perfectly like Jesus. But we do have the perfect Jesus to look to. He did not predestine us. He did not choose us. He did not gather us together. He did not give us his spirit to make us like so-and-so over there. Lord, make us like you. Let me pray, and then I'm gonna hand it back over to Bishop. Lord Jesus, we do say, make us like you. God, show us the ways in which, even as not just with faithfulness and loyalty to you, but Lord, as we look into all these different fruit of the Spirit, the many ways your Spirit is revealed through our lives, Lord, we welcome you to do the hard work of changing us, that we wouldn't give ourselves a pass to not become like Jesus. But Lord, this world needs to see you. This world needs to see you. And the way they see you, like Paul says in Corinthians, is that they see us as reflecting the Lord's glory as in a mirror. That we would be transformed into the image, into your image from one degree of glory to another. So Holy Spirit, transform us. Make us like Jesus. Lord, I pray for this family at Core Faith that God, you would cultivate not just belief, but lifestyle. Lord, not just a conformity of internal thoughts and ideas or doctrinal statements, but Lord, you would continue the work you've been doing to conform every person in this family and this family as a whole into the image of Jesus. That the world, when they think about this church family, they would think about Jesus. They would see Jesus. They would hear Jesus. And Lord, I ask you just to help us also as the church in Oviedo 
to walk in unity, that the body of Christ would be built up and we would be literally the body of Christ, that people would look at the church and see a representation, a reflection of Jesus in our city. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that this service encouraged you and built your faith in Christ as well as called you to action. Please be sure to connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe so you can stay connected and be informed of when we post new content. If there's any way we can pray for you or serve you, or if you would like more information on a relationship with Christ, email us at bishop at corefaithchurch.org. Make sure to IM us on Facebook or DM us on Instagram.